Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it is my privilege to speak with Mandy Smith. She's the author of the forthcoming book, Unfettered, Imagining a Childlike Faith Beyond the Baggage of Western Culture. Mandy's a pastor, author, and speaker. She loves the opportunity to engage Christian thinkers and leaders through her speaking and writing, presenting and teaching at conferences, retreats, and seminaries across the United States and Australia. She's a regular contributor to Christianity Today and Missio Alliance and the author of her previous book, The Vulnerable Pastor, How Human Limitations Empower Our Ministry. The focus of our conversation today is going to be on her new book, Unfettered, and we have a conversation about spiritual formation, how to recover a ministry where we're fully present, uh, what that looks like, some practices that we can have, and finding a space between thinking it's completely up to ourselves to advance God's mission or simply being passive and waiting for God to do something. I know I was tremendously blessed by this conversation, and I look forward to sharing it with you now. Welcome to the show, Mandy. It's so great to have you today. Yeah, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. And it's just amazing to have a conversation across the world. And this is literally from the future for me, right? (laughs) Yeah, Thursday's going to be beautiful for you. That's good. And yeah, we're shooting this on a Wednesday. So and Mandy is in Australia and I'm in Orlando. So this is really awesome to have a technology to be able to do. That's just amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, share some key moments in your spiritual journey, Mandy, that's led you to you know embrace a, a calling to ministry, both as a pastor and uh, as an author and as a speaker. Yeah. So I think for me, really, a key moment was at 11. I was at a girls brigade camp which is kind of like a christian girl scouts thing and um we had a chaplain who was a woman who had been a missionary and she preached a sermon where i think she was saying you know if somebody gave you a gift you would you would open it and what if god has given you the gift of his love will will you open it and the thought of god giving me something in me saying yeah i'm not going to really explore that i'm not going to receive that kind of broke my heart that God would be in that position. And it really moved me. Um, And they had a kind of an altar call thing at the end of the songs, you know, and I just couldn't bring myself to move, to move my legs and go forward. And I was so disappointed. I ran out into a field in tears and um, the woman, the chaplain came out after me and sat with me and, and just, I remember her saying, Mandy, I think God has something special for you. And my first thought, and maybe it's because she was a missionary, my first thought was, oh, I'm going to be a missionary, you know, and that was fine with me. And so I think um, from the very beginning, my sense of call to be a follower of Jesus was also a call to be um, part of the mission. And I think in the beginning, in the first probably 10 or 20 years after that, it was it was more of a performance thing and less of a joining Jesus on mission thing. But but I think there was something good about it as well that was just understanding to follow Jesus is to go on mission with him. And um, that's the central part of our faith, not just to be getting stuff from him. Um, but there's something about being on mission with him, which is getting stuff as well. Um, and then I think as an author, when we, we've done a lot of moving around for studies and work and ministry, and um, when we moved to the US, um, I 
we started having a family and my visa doesn't did not allow me to to do anything <laughs> to work I was allowed to volunteer maybe if I was lucky and um that's the time I was having kids and so it was it was nice to I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum with my kids and it was really nice to have no other option really um because my visa didn't allow me to work and so there was never any question when the bills were getting tight to say oh maybe I, Mandy should work and mm -hmm. so I just embraced it and um I just really had Ten, uh, 10 years then with the, with both of my kids um, at home and there was but there was something I had graduated from Bible college I had been excited about ministry and then I worked for three years to put my husband through his PhD and then I was home for 10 years with my kids and that was like why God have you called me to do something and then put me in these places and um, but there was something in me that really just needed to come out and the only outlet as an at-home mum was through writing really mm -hmm. so my first two books I wrote, you know, when they were at preschool or taking naps or um, so I think that was a place where like there was no other outlet because of my visa and my and, and our choice for me to be home that it just had to come out somewhere. So I had to force myself well, not force myself, but I had to discipline myself to learn how to write because of that. And I'm really glad it's kind of become therapy for me now. Uh, and when you think about mentors or uh, conversation partners, maybe they're, you know, maybe there's people that in the books who, who, who's actually influenced you along the way in your journey of faith. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can, if I can count books, then definitely I would say Hildegard of Bingen, wow. um, abbess from me medieval Germany, um, Thomas Merton, C.S. Lewis. I don't know where I'd be with those three, without those three, but about as far as humans that I get to be with. Um, the first person who came to mind is actually my friend Sandy Brock, who um, is a spiritual director and massage therapist. And um, she, this is just such a gift that I've for probably 10 or 12 years um, been going to see her fairly regularly, once every six months maybe, um, for massage, but also she prays as she does it and and ask you to listen to the lord and um and respond to questions like she's not talking the whole time but um and then praise with you afterwards about whatever came up and it just helped heal the body spirit mind mm -hmm. kind of divides um that you know we do you know there's the body there's the book the body keeps the score that talks about how we trap our trauma we trap our anxiety in our bodies and um and so she's been just such a great person to talk to and to pray with and to really engage in in kind of holistic ways. And that's blessed. You've got The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. One my, it's one of my favorite books. I recommend it to folks. It's it absolutely, especially for pastor. I mean, it's it's a medical yeah. book in a sense. But yeah, I, mean, I love that. I love what you just said. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, because that's, that's really we cool. talk yeah. at people, you know, you can talk somebody into, you can try to talk somebody into the possibility that God loves them. And that he can be a good father, but if they've been beaten by their own father, that's in their body. Yeah. Know? And there are some things that I've heard. She's shared with me stories of amazing, of amazing release for people from from moving in certain ways. She actually does a different kind of work now that's encouraging people to move according to the way that they feel need to release something, and the movement itself actually releases something on a spiritual level. So um, she actually still does a lot of that work. If people want to contact her, her name is Sandy, i.e. Um, Brock. Um, 
and yeah, she's just been such an amazing friend and um, conversation partner over the years. No, that's really interesting to hear, hear you, what you just said, because um, I mean, I've, I've had Elaine Heath previously, and, I'll, and folks can go back and listen to her episode, but she talked a lot about trauma in the body, mm -hmm. and, um, and that's where I got the book body keeps the score from her but it's right. from now that I've, i can go back and now for your book um unfettered imagining a childlike faith beyond the baggage of western culture i can actually kind of uh, you don't necessarily go into those pieces but i can see how that might have been sitting underneath the book now and mm -hmm. i think that's um you know it's really um yeah really really remarkable so mm. you know, one of the things i loved about the book and you know you do have some remarkable phrases in there but one of the ones that really jumped off um the pages to me and, and you it shows up i think a couple different places at least my mind mm -hmm. i remember seeing it was this we do kingdom things in empire ways uh, to enter the kingdom, we'll need to remember how to do kingdom things in kingdom ways. Again, this will mean embracing story, substance, mystery, and a different kind of authority. Um, mm. And that seemed to be a, a key recurring sort of a theme, the empire mm -hmm. and stuff. And so can yeah. you unpack that again? I know it's probably, that could be the whole conversation now, but yeah, like, yeah. what's well, it mean I to do kingdom things in empire ways? And different yeah, and that was, and that was, yeah, absolutely. That was borrowing language from Walter Brueggemann. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got the amazing book of um, uh, prophetic imagination. <laughs> I was blanking on it there. Um, and I think most of the things that we that we are seeing are wrong with the church, the Western church, and that the culture is telling us, like, that doesn't look like Jesus. Um, and so many people walking away from their faith. It's, I think, very much related to how we do things, not only what we do. And, you know, we might be saying the right things with our mouths, but, but if we're saying it with hatred, that's not kingdom ways, you know. So even as simple as this morning, you know, last night I was reading over your um, notes and you had some questions and um, getting ready for today. And I'm in the middle of an international move right now. And, you know, I just, I was blanking on several of the questions as I shared with you earlier. You know, I wrote this book several yeah about a year ago now and um and i i was just i had a really long day i'm in the middle of of so many things right now and um i just wasn't coming up with answers to some of the questions and felt stupid and felt ashamed and i was like i wrote this book why can i not even answer the questions and from that place and this is a micro version of what we all do all the time mm -hmm. every time we feel limited or incompetent um, we feel ashamed and we go to a place of anxiety. And so that's just a natural tendency. That's how our culture functions because we are alone according to an atheistic kind of worldview. Um, but if we really function according to the culture, according to the kingdom, where there is flourishing and abundance and God has, God is the ultimate answerer of questions for podcasts. You know, I have this source of life and and hope and energy and faith and courage that's supposed to be in me. Like, I do believe it's in me, but I don't always mm -hmm. function as if that's the case. And so I think a fundamental piece of doing kingdom things in kingdom ways is every single question that arises, every single problem that arises. If our first response grew from this trust that the God of creation is in our bodies, <laughs> and is a, a resource that is actually so much better than the things that we try to do on our own. And so it's good because this book itself 
is a reminder of that. So as I'm trying to desperately go through the book and find answers to your questions, I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't even prayed, you know, mm. <laughs> to just say to the Lord, like, you know what I need to say, you know what might be helpful to the hearers, to the listeners. So like, remind me, you know, you're the one who ultimately wrote this book. So I think we all function in those ways all the time. But if we build whole congregations or whole denominations or whole Bible colleges or whole movements without that reminder that ultimately God, God is the one doing the work and we are joining him, which is so simple and fundamental and saying it even sounds really condescending, but we don't function according to that on a regular basis, myself included. No, and that's the theme that runs through the through the book the, all the way. So you have even have that language of, of childlike faith. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But you mentioned uh, some of the things. You know, we have an atheistic culture and such. I mean, what when you think about Western culture, what are what are the challenges that uh, spiritually minded persons, mm-hmm. whether they're pastors or lay people, are, are really facing that uh, uh, you know pose. Uh, you know, problems and blocks to us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, big question. Well, I think a fundamental piece is is related to power and our world, our education teaches us certain ways to use our own agency or to flee from our own agency. And so we often bring that into our faith by feeling like it's all up to us. And then, you know, that's that's what we've been taught in our in our world. And then we think, okay, but we're supposed to be Christians. It's not all up to us. It must be all up to God. And I see us, and I see this in myself, ping-ponging from one to the other. Uh, and there's a kind of anxiety in the one of it's all up to us and a kind of passivity or even going towards depression and um, giving up on the other side, neither of which is hopeful. But, you know, I see us as Christians also getting wrapped up in that depression and that anxiety of, hyper-engagement or um, under-engagement. And what I see us invited into is a third option um, where Jesus says, abide in me, (laughs) you know, and the fruit will come from that. And so I think one way that's huge, and this this comes down to personal engagement and and choices we make as leaders and, and whole institutions we create, that there's this strange invitation where Jesus says come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest and we expect he'll be like and you'll never have to do anything again I'm going to run your church for you I'm going to raise your kids for you (laughs) you know I'm going to take care of your to-do list and then he says uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and uh, so I think this is a beautiful invitation to to set aside our carrying of everything by ourselves. And then once we're resting in him, he's not still, you know, he's not, he's not just like floating, floating on a inflatable on, on the, on vacation, you know, he's like, if you rest in me, we can do things together because I'm on mission in this world, making all things new. And you can actually learn from me as we do this. And so I think, um, harder than doing nothing and doing everything is is partnering with him but I think this is where this is where we actually have an opportunity to grow in our own faith you know we often think our personal growth is me just receiving from from Jesus and then we have to go on mission which feels like we're just giving all the time but but instead I think this approach 
is has an opportunity to say I'm on mission with Jesus and that is an opportunity for me to grow in my faith and he is going to call me to do things that are really hard but I'm also going to get to see miracles and when it gets hard he's right there you know it's not like he sent me off on some mission without him and so um, those feel like underlying habits that we have that are more cultural than Christian Um, and they come out in you know moment by moment day by day life life choices one of my favorite things in your, in the book um was you, you tell us really memorable stories of these just interesting things that you do um and it's a sense you're trying to embrace this new calling of being and you do and you, and you sense through your intuition that you know, god's prompting you to do mm-hmm. really simple acts and you know you, you you share pretty openly. Some of these were kind of even embarrassing things. So, yeah, yeah. so could, could, uh, can can you share like maybe your favorite one? I don't know which one mm-hmm. was my favorite because I thought they were all just fun to to to, yeah. to read about. Like and, and just share one of those and how that helped you to transform while you were on your Sabbath and beyond mm-hmm. to really embrace this un, this stance of being unfettered. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you said Sabbath and beyond because I think Sabbath for me is where it began, but there was a real challenge for it to yeah. come with me into daily life and. The first one that comes to mind for me is um, I was actually at Gethsemane Abbey as a part of my Sabbath sabbatical and um, amazing place there in Kentucky. And, you know, but it's not um, a dramatic landscape. It's kind of green rolling hills. Mm -hmm. And I walked to the top of one of them one day and um, I just felt a prompt to lie down in the grass which really isn't that big of a deal, but I'd been being a grown-up for so long and so used to trying to make sure everybody takes me seriously. There was nobody around, you know, it's this rural context. And still it took me some time to actually say, why not, you know? Maybe it'll feel dumb, maybe it'll be embarrassing, maybe it'll be a waste of time, but, like, what's really, what's the what's the problem, <laughs> you know? And... Um, it's interesting because I think I had been wanting kind of mountaintop moments in my sabbatical and times where like God just really blew me away. And most of that, I didn't realize how much I was expecting it to be a word or a sentence or a concept to meet me in, in one limited part of me. But I think in this moment, what was transformative for me was how God has a really great vocabulary. Like he speaks many languages and he is constantly bombarding us with beauty and wonder and and insight and, and comfort, but we only want it through one part of ourselves, which is our intellect, which is totally great. It's just so limited. It's only one part. And so suddenly, you know, I was wanting answers from God. I was like, if I'm going to spend some time with you, might as well get some of these things figured out that I've been trying to solve for a long time. And instead, when I finally got over myself, I took off my shoes and I just lay down in the grass. And I don't think I'm imagining it because I've talked to other people who experience this as well, but there is a there is an energy coming up out of the ground. You know, we mm-hmm. are not just sitting on a rock of a chunk of concrete here. This is a, a you know, the the planet has this molten core that's always moving and the planet itself is spinning. And when you lie down on the ground and you actually just release, I really, I suddenly felt like I was plugged into something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that seems silly to my rational brain. And I had to get over that and just lie on the ground and just let 
my muscles relax and just trust that God was God was here. And I looked up at the sky and and it was just communion with him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like this great insight. It wasn't like an amazing experience that I could even tell you why it was so transformative, but I just set aside my own carrying of my own troubles for a moment and just was as you are when you're a kid and you lie in the grass. I just was present. And so I think probably what was really amazing about that was not that something new really popped into my life or my mind or my experience, but that I was suddenly just available to what God is. The miracles constantly around us, you know, and I just looked up at the sky and I said to the Lord, I think it was also the first warm day of spring, which really helped, you know, and I just said to the Lord, when you made that cloud, did you know I was going to lie here when you made this hill? Were you thinking of me? And it was just communion. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't me trying to push a button to get vending machine God to fix my problems. And um, so I think that was significant to me because it was it was a new experience for me to just be be in His presence for the sake of it instead of asking Him to fix my problems and answer my questions. Yeah, I found that the power that very powerful, even the way you describe that and. You know, we, especially in our tech world, I mean, you can walk around with GPS on all the time. You can be listening to things. I mean, people may yeah. be listening to this walking around or whatever, but some level we've lost something about being connected to the whole planet uh, just by the yeah. way that we live. I know I was out on a stand-up paddleboard in the middle of the pandemic. It was in Orlando. I was on a lake and I, and I was, I remember, mm. I was, and I was, remember I was sitting there and um, we're paddling around. I was looking down, I could see fish and then there were birds. And I thought to myself, you know, and it's really funny. We're sitting here in Orlando, there's a pandemic, but I don't think these fish and the birds even know anything about that at all. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> I thought that several times during the pandemic. And I think, you know, when Jesus says, consider the birds and consider the lilies, we see that as this kind of throwaway, sentimental, yeah. cheesy thing. But he's saying there is a level on which the kingdom is flourishing. Will you join it? You know, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And, and just, uh, I mean, and obviously this is going to be a cognitive question now after we just said about being connected. but Which you know, is great. I don't yeah, want to yeah. diss that in oh, any yeah. way. I don't well, know no, why I, I said diss. That's not a word I ever use. <laughs> oh, it's, it, it, um, it, it fits in the American context here, so it's yeah. good. But, <laughs> but yeah, know, but it is a part of how God made us, and I but, want to receive that, yeah. Yeah, and you get this, and you get, and you, I'm sure you get this question, because I mean, it was whenever we start talking about, um, you know, really being open and, and kind of using our intuition, that that obviously scares um, some folks, because yeah. it's about yeah, our intuition of, of our, yeah, yeah exactly, and yeah. so, so how do we, how do you help people, and maybe, and, I, and I'm guessing there's not, I mean, this is hard to answer, so I know, I recognize there's some unfairness in the question, but how do you discern between the yeah. spirit prompting you over against, you know, maybe some unconscious thing on the inside or, mm-hmm. you know, well, you kind of know where I'm going with that. So how yeah, do you, how do you, absolutely. how do you help people to get kind of get a grasp of that? If it's uh, to know the mm-hmm. difference and trust yourself enough yeah. to actually pop perhaps your God yeah. in a different way than you're used to. Yeah, it is scary, especially for people like me who grew up in a place that was actually pretty anti any of that. Yeah, And yeah. Um, so I think that it's actually really good to even ask the question because mm-hmm. I think oftentimes we are so uncomfortable with it that we just don't even learn or you know even try. And so we miss out on a whole bunch of things. There's so many things at the moment in our Western Christianity that has a lot of baggage and has been abused. And so we just 
just dispose of it entirely instead of redeeming it. This is one of the things that I think needs to be redeemed because it is scriptural. Like if you think about the road to Emmaus um, story, I love the fact that when they finally figure out it's been Jesus all along, they say, weren't our hearts burning within us this whole time he was talking? And they use that experience in their bodies to verify the reality of Jesus being really with them. Um, we don't really necessarily learn to trust those kinds of things. So I wish I could tell you there was an easy formula, <laughs> um, but I think that's part, probably one of the reasons why we don't want to do it is because we can't guarantee and, yeah. and we won't learn it until we, until we explore it. Um, and, and one of the best ways, I would say, is to discern with other people. And at the same time, that's not entirely foolproof because, A, there may be sometimes when God calls us to things that other people around us don't agree with or don't understand. And so how do then you know, how do you know then when to listen to them and when not to listen to them? Or you get mixed messages. That's often the case with me is some people say, that sounds great. That's the Lord. And other people are like, that's crazy. So who do you listen to? And, um, and so, yeah, it is messy. But I think ultimately... Um, and sometimes you just don't get the time to stop and ask for discernment with other people for every question or every invitation from the Lord. But I think the best practice for me has been a practice of emptying, mm -hmm. which is coming back to the Lord and saying, I set aside my agenda, I set aside my fears, I, I open myself up to the possibility that this is you speaking to me. And I think um, when we are... You know, we can never do that perfectly, but when we are just aware of our own junk that we're bringing into it, our own fears and our own efforts, I, th I do think that some of the best insights have come for me when I'm just like, all right, already, I give up on even trying <laughs> to figure this out. Um, but yeah, it is, it is scary. And I think that's where it takes just attentiveness and regular listening instead of... Um, coming up with an easy answer and then just not even engage with the Lord anymore. No, I think that's really helpful. And I like how you started with scripture and you brought in community and things. And I think that's, I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to approach it. So, so thank you. And, you know, mm. and, and then unfettered as a whole, the, you know, you, you use this phrase um, or a theology of, of childlikeness and you, mm -hmm. you run that through the entire book. And um, I mean, that, and that's such a, a powerful metaphor. Um, can you talk about what that means? Uh, what, what does it, yeah. what's the theology of childlikeness and like, what would be a couple mm -hmm. of takeaways for somebody that's listening today that kind of invite them to go a little deeper with your book? Right. Yeah. I think ultimately, and I see this in the, the Eden story um, and in the story of Jesus, um, especially with his temptations in the wilderness that um, I think that, I believe that all sin is a, is a temptation to disconnect from God and to be independent. Mm. And oftentimes that comes from, you know, a fundamental motive oftentimes for most of our sin is I am ashamed of the fact that I need something bigger than myself. And out of that shame, I, I am well, out of that acknowledgement, you know, even this morning, getting ready to talk to you, I didn't have all the answers. I, my brain wasn't functioning very well. And there's a moment in every kind of way that we are just ordinary humans and we can't fix everything and control everything. 
there's a moment there of temptation before we ever do anything that looks like sin. The real sin starts when we say, I'm going to do this on my own mm-hmm. and disconnect from God, which is what we see in, in the garden. And it's what we see Jesus being tempted with in the wilderness where Satan is reminding him, you're just an ordinary human. You can't do all this. You can't, you know, bring all the multitudes. You can't understand all the things. And, and Satan's temptations to him are, you can just do the shortcut. You don't need to rely on the Father. And I love the fact that Jesus does not choose to be ashamed of his own humanness. In any of those temptations, he's like, yeah, I know I need something bigger than me. I'm just going to keep going back to the Father. Thanks very much. And, um, yeah, so I think a theology of childlikeness is in, is embracing the fact that we are still so dependent on God and that we are so limited in our understanding and in our power and that's okay (laughs) God is not ashamed of that Jesus was not ashamed of his humanness and um, God is not ashamed of our humanness and every single one of those is an invitation to say that's right I need something bigger than myself one more time and every single one of those is a temptation and is is a temptation to towards independence and to stepping away from God. And so I think this is something that we knew as children. We weren't ashamed of needing something beyond ourselves. And at Mm -hmm. that point, it might have just been our parents. You know, every time you're hungry, when you're a little kid, you know your parents have access to the food. And and you're not ashamed to say, can I have something to eat, (laughs) please? so just the simplicity of, of knowing, not that childhood was, was perfect either, and not that everybody has what they need in childhood, but I think there is a way that fundamentally there was a place in all of us at some point, and this is what gives me hope. We've done this before. It's not a new habit. We can just learn it again. And there's a way to do that, that dependence as adults too. Like I said, with my own story of, of um, coming to God when I was 11, that it wasn't... Um, a dependence in a way that was passive there's also a very adult-like kind of place of joining God in mission we depend on him and he's moving and so we need to we need to also use our agency to to be in that mission with him now and I and that, that you know I tried to phrase I mean you might have just answered my next question because it's hard to find because it's, it's you're trying to find this this kind of like a, well, a sweet spot or this balance and so you know, on the one hand, you know, if I'm going to be a child, um, you know, I want to, I can imagine my own daughter. It's like, I can always, I can say her name was Michaela. I can just still hear her saying, Kayla, do it. Kayla, do it. She wanted to go mm-hmm. ahead and, um, and, then, mm-hmm. and, then her, and we have this picture. My one daughter was very active and she'd like, I mean, she, tried, she made a hot dog in the microwave. She was like 18 months old, which was so funny. Oh, and then, wow. and it was just, it was really funny. And then my other daughter always would just watch everything just kind of sit mm-hmm. there and then she'd watch her sister and then she she would kind of do it and so to me that's you get this metaphor between maybe thinking about my own two daughters one was like had this I would call it godly ambition and maybe the other mm. one had this pious passivity and so you know we find mm. people in those places and mm-hmm. you know you're calling for this third way in a way so we're not um we still going to be ambitious we uh, we recognize though that God's going to have to work in this so yeah, and that's how do you? I mean, and it's obviously that's a word for both. If we're all like type A ambitious, we need to like calm down, slow down, 
open up more yeah. to what God's doing. And then and maybe I'm answering your question, but then there's the person that like, okay, I got to wait for God to do this and they never do anything. I mean, yes. are, yeah. so, so, so how do you talk a little bit to both yeah. to get embrace child uh, likeness? Exactly. Well, I actually realized that we needed some new words for this because yeah. whenever I would tell people I was writing about child likeness, so many times there was a warning, oh, but make sure it's not about childishness, you know, because there are warnings about that in scripture as well. And I realized that we don't have the same language with adult and adult-like and adultish. Yeah. And actually, it was really helpful for me to add that language because um, there are really good things about having adult agency. And um, the it's all up to me or it's all up to God, I think, shows some, some uh, adult. It's all up to me is adultishness. And it's all up to God is childishness. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, so what we're what he's calling us into, I in the book I I put in terms of rest, receive, respond, and this comes from that uh, yoke passage that first we have to get away from adultishness in our culture, especially where we're praised for adultishness, which is I'm in control, I've got this. Um, and I think that was what I was having to do even to learn how to lie in the grass is setting aside these adultish habits of worrying about what everybody thinks about us and wanting to always be in control and, and receive something from that resting from our adultish habits, which is an invitation into childlikeness, just the attentiveness of, of a child, the, the openness of a child. And from that place, Every single time I've I've allowed myself to be in that place, I receive something, and it may it's not usually the thing I want. It's not usually like the way to write this sermon, you know. It's often it's often a prompt to pray for something, or uh, an an idea for an article, or a poem, or a prompt to to reach out to somebody or to give something away, and um, and then it's our job because some of the things that we are prompted to do by the spirit are actually kind of scary yes. or embarrassing or just awkward. And so to then have the obedience to say yes to those prompts to respond um, is a place of real adult, adult likeness of setting aside childishness of, of passivity of like, Oh, I've got nothing to bring. And, um, and having the, the agency that we have got as adults that God has given us to step into saying yes to him, which is going to be scary sometimes and it will take a lot of courage. And so it's, I think that for me feels like a really beautiful invitation to being true selves, to being mm -hmm. whole people, of setting aside the abusive, you know, it's power abuse whether we overuse power or underuse our power. Good. And so that's a really good invitation. And so we do have a response. It's just not the first thing all the time. You know, the world tells us respond, 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 problem, respond, question, respond. But but Jesus says, yeah, I want you to respond. You have agency and gifts to use. Just don't start there. Start with rest, receive from me, and then respond from that. And honestly, that, that feels like flourishing. No, that was a really helpful answer. Thank you so much. That, mm, that, that was, that was really good. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you mentioned shame a couple of times. And, um, you know, when we think about, you know, what Jesus does through his life, death, resurrection, it's like Western theology is a lot, a lot about guilt. And you've talked about shame mm. different times. You've talked about body keeps the score. And 
when you read mm-hmm. your book, you're engaging with some non-Western kind of images yeah. and even ideas. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of understanding salvation and what you've learned from embracing mm-hmm. some non-Western uh, thinkers, yeah. images? Because I think that would be, um, I think that'd be really helpful just to touch on yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really helpful to um, learn about Eastern shame culture. And I didn't realize I know that global workers, missionaries learn about these things. There's actually three different basic fundamental cultures in the world. One related to, well, the two main ones that are most relevant for us are shame culture and guilt culture. And Western culture has primarily been guilt culture, which is you did something wrong. And it's more of a, often uses metaphors of, of legal, mm-hmm. you know, you're, there's a judge and you need somebody to, uh, innocence is that guilt is the problem, innocence is, is the uh, fix. And so we all know that that's a big part of Western theology. But um, there are various writers who talk about shame culture, which is, which is really important not because we want to be like Eastern people, but because our culture is actually becoming more of a shame culture for various reasons. And I've found um, research that shows that lots of folks on the minority, on the margins, uh, have functioned within a shame culture within the broader Western guilt culture. And um, uh, also because of stuff that's going on with social media, younger folks, have this much more of a shame culture, which is a much more communal uh, kind of way of seeing the world. And so guilt is like you personally did something wrong and you personally need to be fixed. And shame culture says you are a part of a community and the greatest shame is to be put outside of that community because of something that you chose to do. And so the community is what you need to welcome you back in. And these cultures often use more family metaphors and not so much the kind of transactional metaphors. And so um, it's been really interesting for me to see how many of those metaphors are actually in scripture. Scripture is actually growing out and written out of what would be more of an Eastern or shame culture, which is very communal. And, um, and yet we try to read it through the lens of, of guilt culture and Western theology. And so, so much of the language there, I think then that means that the way that we explain the problem and how the gospel resolves the problem is going to be really important as our culture becomes more of a shame culture. Because if we're still talking about guilt, what ends up happening there is we're not responding to the actual felt need that people Mm -hmm. have. And if people feel the shame of I'm never enough, I'm inadequate, I'm rejected because everyone else has got perfect teeth and I don't, or everyone else has got a perfect family and I don't. There is such a vital felt need for that in our culture for us to respond with good news of, yeah, those things may be true and God receives you. You are welcome in the family. But if we come to that with our traditional guilt culture approach, we actually come with bad news before we can have good news because we have to say, you know how you're a terrible sinner (laughs) and people are already feeling shame. And that kind of language actually makes them feel further from being in the family. So it doesn't really, no wonder people don't want to hear the gospel because it doesn't, it's not good news. It's bad news first before we can say, but it's okay because God has forgiven your, your sin. But if we can say sin is, 
is any way that you choose to be separated from God because you believe, believe that you are, you are not, you don't have a place in the family. And for us to say, but you are welcome in the family and to choose to come back in. Um, I think that it's really vital for us to understand how to be relevant to our own culture and, and to watch for the, the real hungers that are all around us that are different than maybe 500 years ago. Do you have a, a recommendation or maybe even uh, like a like what's helped you to, to shift your thinking there and maybe even um, I didn't see this in ahead of time. Do you have like an example um, of maybe just briefly like you saw a favorite text that you like to use that offers uh, the gospel profoundly to a person that literally just feels like, um, you know, I'm not enough. And then they're coming with um, not guilt so much, but like you said, shame. What are some of your favorite go-to yeah. passages? And do you have like a favorite author that's helped you? So maybe somebody's like, I never heard that. I think I'd really need to think. Yeah, about it. it's yeah. huge. A good place to start would be on ashamed.com. Mm. Jason, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It looks like George's um, is a missiologist and um, looks at on shame cultures and there's a lot of articles and resources on his website. And um, he actually has a video on there that's describing, you know, we have the classic cross-shaped bridge kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And he just has different ways that he's even describing. There's a couple of videos on his website. Um, he has a lot of books as well. Um, I think he's coming out with something with InterVarsity or maybe it's just recently come out. Um, so that would be a really good place to start. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here it is. I'm just looking for it here. Onashame.com. And he has two books with IVP, Ministering in Onashame Cultures. Uh, well, that's the one that's most relevant to our conversation here. Yeah. And do, and do you have a favorite like Bible passage when you're, if you were going to like, if you knew you were going to a context where you're with a lot of young, you know, younger people, millennials. And again, this, this will resonate with older folks. So it just kind of depends on your story, where you're, where you grew up and what you experienced. But like, if you know that um, you're dealing with folks that are bringing shame and, and, you know, they don't need to just to feel mm -hmm. worse about themselves. Like what, what, what's your, do you have a favorite go-to biblical passage that. Uh, yeah. Offers I think Hebrews Christ 2. And, yeah. Hebrews 2 is actually a really beautiful passage of, um, describing how Jesus became like us. And I think that's yeah. one of the best um, ways to respond to shame and to, and to show um, the whole point of what Jesus is even doing is he is entering into our ordinary humanness. Um, and, and I sum up Hebrews 2 by saying, he became ordinary like us to show us we're glorious like him. Wow. And so kind of modeling, here's what it means to be unashamed of our humanness and to stay connected to the Father um, and inviting us to, to be in that place with God, with the Father, with him, um, has been a really good one. And I think, too, just the, um, uh, the prodigal son story is such a beautiful story of, of embrace. Yeah. Because literally, because I think our way of talking about um, salvation can feel kind of transactional. It can feel like God's got this like ledger that he's keeping. And I've never actually understood that math of like, you know, somehow send, come in human form to die on a cross and come back to life. And that's going to somehow fix the ledger like that. I, I can have faith and trust that it, that's what that does. 
And those metaphors are still scriptural metaphors, but mm -hmm. they're also limited. And they're, it's good for us to see how many different kinds of metaphors that preachers in scripture use to explain to different cultures what the gospel actually is. That's, that's really good. So now if you had a chance to come to um, a seminary, open up a seminary, and you're going to add a class to a curriculum mm. that maybe doesn't exist, uh, what would uh, what would that class be and yeah, why would you add I, it? I think it would be related to anthropology, mm -hmm. um, understanding the whole human experience, um, you know, because oftentimes we mostly function according to how do we talk to people about the gospel and how do we engage them intellectually, which is wonderful. But I think we're out of balance on that. And so to think about um, embodied experience, to think about mm -hmm. intuitive understanding um, and to understand different peoples around the world and throughout history and how the gospel has connected to them, um, I think that would be really, really, really meaningful. And just look in a typical day for yourself. And these are the questions that I like to try to ask everybody um, that's, mm -hmm. on the, that's on the podcast. Uh, so looking at like a typical day, what kind of formational practices keep you grounded so that you can continue to do your kingdom work? What do you find works really yeah. well for you? Yeah, I think most of them have to do with receiving and not creating my spiritual relationships my, or my relationship with God. Um, and so... I often listen to uh, things, audio Bible, and also the Pray As You Go podcast. It's beautiful. Just about 10 minutes a day, follows the lectionary. I think it's actually a Catholic podcast, but they um, have a piece of music at the beginning, a passage of scripture, and then the time for reflection, and then the same passage again, maybe with a prompt to reflect. And it's just a really great way to to know you're listening to something that people all around the world are listening to, engaging in a lectionary that is across denominations and in a scripture that has been written thousands of years ago and to just listen to it and receive it. And, you know, so I often try to just lie on the bed and listen to it without to just release my own, like, I got to make myself a good Christian today, you know. Right. Um, and by the same token, um, I have a favorite audio book that's actually on Bible Gateway. It's the NIV UK, um, read by David Suchet, who's a famous Shakespearean actor. Hmm. And he's just amazing. He has a special voice he does for God. It's not over the top, it's just subtle, you know. So again, to just relax myself physically in order to receive, it's like having a, a, a story read to you, you know, it's mm -hmm. beautiful. And to just pay attention to how it's hard to focus or to what words really prompt something in me and trust that the spirit is the spirit in me is engaging with the spirit in scripture. But I think the other thing too that is really helpful is practices that are releasing physically. So walking is really helpful. And um, lately I've been floating. The, the house where I'm staying has a pool in the backyard and um, and just the practice of like getting your feet up off the bottom and floating is a, such a good release. Um, and I think all of those, those physical experiences help with the emotional and spiritual and intellectual work of just of release as well, mm -hmm. of, of daily emptying. This is, I think, a foundational practice for me and for 
for what I'm describing in the book, which is not something I was taught, but which I think is deeply scriptural, which is emptying kenosis, you know, of like, um, I actually believe that we, you know, we often invite the spirit because we don't feel the spirit, but we have been promised that we already have the spirit. It doesn't come and go and it is our salvation. And, um, and instead what I think is happening is we are just crowding the spirit. We're cramping the spirit that is already there with all of our own efforts. And so I wasn't trying to be more in touch with the spirit by emptying. I was just doing this by to just like keep me sane because there's just so much emotion in me and so much anxiety and so much, you know, racing thoughts that every morning it's helpful to just come to the Lord. And it's almost like vomiting. It's just like, I just open the lid and let whatever's in there tumble out and trust that God gets it, you know, and not, not force myself to have reasonable prayers right out of the gate, but just to be like this and this and this and this and this, <laughs> you know, you know it, you see it, you can take it. And somehow that, um, it just opens up a space. It's like, I've just, I've just cleared the way so that the spirit that's already there can actually comfort me or prompt me or um, direct me and, I think I suddenly realized like, oh man, that's why I haven't felt the spirit, not because it's left me, but because I've just been so distracted with all the other things. That, that was fantastic description. It's like, I was thinking about my own life when you're saying vomiting and stuff. And it's like, I never heard anybody say that, but it's, it's so true. Cause it's like, you know, I, and honestly I use, um, I think centering prayer does that for me because you're yes. constantly recentering and letting stuff go and not pushing it mm -hmm. back down. And then, and then, you know, I, and I journal a lot. I always write down mm -hmm. every day what's bothering me. And it, that's like doing what you just said. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I thought that was, I love the way you described that. So I think that's gonna be really helpful for folks who are listening. Good. So good to hear different people say things. So, yeah. You know, if, again, this is my always unfair question to pastors and folks that have, that read a lot and listen to stuff. So, like, if you're just going to, other than the Bible and say two to three books that have been really helpful for you spiritually, what what would mm. the couple, two or three mm. books be that have kind of stood the test of time in your own life? Yeah, um, I actually some of the best theology that has really meant something to me has often come from novels, mm -hmm. and um, I think probably the favorite would be Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, which is mm. what he calls his best work. And I would agree, but it's sad because it's really not very widely known. It's very unusual. It's different from any of his other work, but it really wrestles or really um, unpacks the themes of, of true self and false self. Um, and then the second one that comes to mind is a really little book that's a, such a gem written by a Christian epistemologist, and I reference it a bit in the book. Um, it's called A Little Manual for Knowing by Esther Light Cat Meek. And um, I wish I could show you my copy of it, but it's currently in a container coming across the ocean. Yeah. It's so dog-eared and got so many post-it notes in it. Um, but she's basically uh, talking about our usual habits of, of knowledge as information which is, is, you know, has its merits, but it's partial. And she, she talks instead about covenantal epistemology, which is loving in order to know. And, and so really anything that you want to know well, you kind of have to commit to it. You have to covenant with it before you actually even know what it is. You know, any relationship, 
you have to say, I'm going to dance with you, metaphorically speaking, maybe literally, I'm going to engage with you in this to and fro in order to even know what I'm engaging with. And she says that's true for any learning venture, which is, you know, I'm setting out on a new course of study. I'm, I'm learning a new skill. I mean, I'm stepping into a new relationship. And of course, this relates to our relationship with God, that we'd love to have knowledge as information or information as knowledge, I should say. And we want to have data about God to be able to say we know God. But really, the more risky and more rich way of knowing is is to just start living, start loving someone or something and trust that, you know, when you're getting married, you think you're getting married because you already love that person, but really you're going to spend the rest of your life learning them (laughs) and loving them. And um, yeah, there's just no way that you can really know something or someone without the risk of, of jumping in with both feet. And that's not how we're often taught with faith, but it's a really transformative um, little really important book. No, that's really that's really helpful. Um, where can people find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, um, I have a website that has um, information about my two latest books and also some my blog and um, even some of my art and some videos as well. So that's at thewayistheway.org. Um, and yeah, I hope you'll I hope folks will check it out and engage in the conversation. You have uh, your your latest book, Unfettered: Imagining a Childlike Faith Beyond the Baggage of Western Culture. It's available in May 2021. What's what's the exact release date for that? The 18th. Yeah, but you can pre 18th. you can pre order right now. That's good. And I, I just want to thank you for uh, your time today, and thank you for uh, writing a really uh, good book that if folks will be blessed by if they read it, and the, the really the wonderful conversation that we've had today. So, you know, thank you for yeah, your answering God's you. call in your life and, uh, and sharing mm-hmm. that with so many people now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great to be in the conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, you're welcome. And, and friends, thank you for listening all the way to the end. We're grateful to have you as an audience. And until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope to others. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you please help others to find it by sharing it within your social media networks and also subscribing and leaving a review? Be truly grateful. If you're interested in finding out some information about my forthcoming book on Centering Prayer, you can check out centeringprayerbook.com. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week with another exciting interview.